Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to have fun tonight talking about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics that came out on February 28th, 2018. If you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, read those comics, and come back and talk to us about it. So, um, we were debating how to start the show tonight, and Vince threatened to quit if we didn't do it alphabetically. So we're going to go through the books alphabetically tonight, starting with Action Comics. Action Comics number 998. This is written by Dan Abnett. No, I'm joking. It's written by Dan Jurgens. Uh, illustrated by Will Conrad. Uh, this is one of the many Zod books of the week. What do you guys think of it? First of all, I'll never quit this show. <laughs> this show is going down with... Uh, I'm going down with the ship. Uh, and it's it's gonna you know the world is ending here pretty soon right so probably we're gonna be there right at the end at least I will be <laughs> um did you guys think that the I thought that this was a considerably more fun issue than this arc has been kind of dragged out right yes has this been mm-hmm. like is this is this a six issue deal uh, uh, sure felt like it I think it started with like nine ninety. Uh, three maybe yeah so it would be six issues <laughs> maybe five. it's been at least five it's been a, it's been a while yeah uh let's see well i thought this issue was a lot 993 more yeah it was the first one okay yeah so um i mean there were some decent enough jokes in here like i thought the i thought the jarvis joke was pretty funny when, when <laughs> i will agree with that yes yeah it was yeah. For those that maybe um, are uh, are not reading this book uh, as intensely or or not at all, essentially uh, Skeet's um, boosters, you know, robotic companion, puts himself like basically transfers his consciousness into one of the Eradicator's robots that he is uh, robot army members that he is controlling, and then um, Booster calls him Alfred, and Skeet says, "Don't do that." And he says, "Well, I can't call you Jarvis. That's a that's an entirely different timeline, or something like that." Um, yeah. So you know that 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 was a fun little nod to, uh, to to you know Marvel, and it's also kind of funny that I guess now technically Marvel is uh, canon within DC. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Which kind of already happened because a number of what times. is it Earth yeah. Earth eight and nine I think are the two Marvel worlds. Yeah. We'll get a little bit more of that later. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you... Oh, go ahead, Vince. Oh, I was just going to say they, they Booster and, and Superman were made into human s'mores, which I feel like they they did only because they couldn't do a human centipede. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's the uncut version of Action Comics. <laughs> that's the uh, DC Black Label. Yeah, exactly. Too hot for TV, Action Comics. Uh, Zach, what were you going to say? Um, I liked how we had a reprisal of the watch Krypton explode thing from <laughs> yeah. James Robinson's Superman arc. Yeah. But that, this one was way more gruesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gosh. That was a really nice looking... Like, I thought the art was just okay, because I still think, like, any t- like I like Will Conrad's art, but anytime he's 
he's doing his thing. There's it's always like there's overuse of digital effects and the coloring looks kind of funny. It's it's always like darker than I think it should be. Uh, but that explosion sequence was really nice. There was really like a weight to it. Like I thought it was well done. Yeah, it wasn't your garden variety. Watch your mother's flesh melt off. It was really a uh, a more yeah. nuanced. Watch your mother's flesh melt off. It was right. Yes, exactly. Um, what else? Uh, one, um, one thing. One thing I thought was funny was that there's this point in this issue where Booster says. Uh, the past is solidified as concrete. Time cannot be changed. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. What this book presupposes is, maybe it can? Uh, well, almost, like, that's, that's so, so egocentric, so chronocentric. It's like, my time is the only time. Yeah. It's... I just think it's funny because, like, how many times in DC Comics has somebody gone into the past and changed things? <laughs> yeah. In- including Barry, which they make a joke about yeah. on one of the last pages of the issue. So don't tell me it's solidified as concrete. Hey, hey Barry, don't go fucking up reality again, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of funny, too. Yeah. And at the end, I like how, um, you know, I like when when story arcs wrap up and it actually shows, like, what happens to everybody afterwards, like, at the end... Uh, where you get to see, you know, Booster flying off, and you get a little bit with Barry, even though he's not been a part of this story. They apologize for stealing his cosmic treadmill, and it's just, I, I like when comics do that at the end of a story, kind of wind down in that way, and, and, and take the opportunity to do a little character stuff. Uh, so that was nice. Yeah, you know, this was um, this was definitely the best issue of this arc, I think. I think it was probably you know, four issues too long, and I also don't, I don't know why you had to throw like a uh, a Lorazar, um heel turn in there. Like I, I don't think anybody was really rooting for like the the Zod family to be, you know, super tight. It just seemed like a weird choice to make the son not care about his old man after all. It seemed like it seemed like it was a plot point that wasn't embellished at all. So it just seemed odd to be have it thrown in there at the last minute. Yeah. Or not? No, you're right. I have nothing more to add. Okay. Anything more to say about the issue in general? Uh, what? Not really about this issue, but, you know, we're just one away from a thousand. I don't Ooh. remember what this next issue is supposed to be about. Um, technically, we are two away from we're one away from a thousand. But we have two more issues of of the Jordan's run because there's that Action Comics special. True, that's, that's Luthor centric. Looks like the next issue is about Sam Lane and John. Oh god! <laughs> what was that? That's my total indifference noise. <laughs> Oh, I just broke the Brian guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the all the stuff with Sam Lane pretty much bugs me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, fine. It, it's whatever. Yeah, it's. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's um. 
Let's move along. Let's move along to Batgirl number twenty. Uh, the uh, conclusion, the uh, the second part of the Cold Snap arc here. Um, unfortunately, we do not have Chris Wildgoose on art still, but uh, it's still written by Hope Larson, and this issue is illustrated by uh, Sam Bosry, who does a nice job. Um, kind of fits with that, not quite as as uh, exuberant or as uh, emotive as the Wild Goose stuff, but certainly you know a, a, a fine artist. And this is, uh, we get more of the Penguin's son here. We get, uh, Penguin's gonna run for Congress. We get, like, a, a, a mind control. Um, weird, like, uh, a sphere of mind control, essentially. Uh, we get Batgirl essentially talking to ghosts. And, like, seeing visions of, of the past. Uh, th- th- this almost felt like a, uh, a wrap-up to this run, even though we know it's not. Didn't it? A little bit? A little bit. Um, I, I love this issue. I thought this was such a great, you know, building on all of the, the plots that we've had so far. Um, I thought that the, the Penguin and Sons, um, you know, scheme was really smart. I love the scene where Barb realizes she like has been mind controlled mm-hmm. it's just a ton of fun um i liked everything about this issue except for like the last couple of pages i thought the the tone and the note it ended on was kind of weird about like the the scars the whole thing yeah it just kind of felt oddly it just felt really kind of grim yeah cuz this this book has been surprising not surprisingly i guess just consistently hopeful from the mm. beginning and yeah. that was that was a pretty bleak ending you're right about that vince what did you think of this issue yeah i loved it a lot i think sammy basri d- did a really nice job fitting the tone of the book um and i want to point out uh, or just shout out uh jessica colin i don't know how to pronounce her last name but colin colleen's colors um mm. she was the colorist on this and there were a lot of nice – I mean, it, it, it fit – the colors fit the exact look that we're expecting from this book. But these issues had a lot of, like, icy blues, very f- fitting and, and, and just set the right tone for this, like, cold day in Burnside type, you know, story that they were going for. Um, so those were really nice. Uh, I liked how in the end <laughs> – it was revealed that Ethan was uh, scarred by what happened between him and Batgirl, like literally on his face. He's basically Raiden from uh, Metal Gear Solid Four. I, I don't know. If I, I know Brian. You probably don't get that reference, but uh, I'm just gonna drink my water. Yeah, <laughs> he's basically Raiden uh, at the end. Just this like broken man who's been uh, who g- got in over his head, and yeah. Um, and hey, the penguin—you know—he kind of reminded me of our freaking president. <laughs> That's twisted, man. <laughs> anyway, um, I thought it was interesting. I, although, that... to be fair, I bet the penguin is not embroiled in as many scandals currently <laughs> as our president is. So, yeah, wait. The the penguin, a Batman villain, is involved in far less crime. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I thought it was interesting. That, and his that... son is nowhere near as dumb as any of Trump's kids. <laughs> he's still a fail son. Well, he, he is still a fail son, but he's he's not. You know, he's not Eric Trump or anything. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Don Jr. is far dumber than Eric. I think. Oh, I don't know. Look at Eric's <laughs> face, man. Come on, <laughs> that is not the face of a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> but I was told that they were superior genes. Oh, that is true. Um. <laughs> No, okay. Other thing I wanted to say is that it was weird but cool that <laughs> Babs and Dinah were basically going to see a Gigi Allen concert, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's going to pee on them, I guess. Yeah. Is that what they said? Or an R. Kelly concert, am I right? Or, whoa. <laughs> this is the remix to Ignition. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, R. Kelly's doo-doo butter. Uh, all right. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> I, I like how th- this is another thing that I really liked about Hope Larson's run and it's kind of carryover from the, uh, previous, like the first Batgirl of Burnside stuff, the motor uh, crew, the motor crush people. Yeah. Um, I like that there's a focus on like modern tech and apps and things like that because it feels very, it, this feels very real. Like I feel like. Uh, you know, <laughs> like an app startup or whatever, w- you know, this feels authentic to that while having the obvious supervillain like twist, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just feels like the right setting for that type of thing. And it feels like the right setting for the character of Barbara Gordon. Like it's a different and it's different from Gotham, you know, and it, it really works. And I feel like it's, it's really the right time to be commenting on things like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg essentially making Cobblepot, Ethan Cobblepot into like a Zuckerbergian figure, you know, uh, really works for me. Yeah, I, I feel like most times when when media tries to play up like app designers and whatnot, it comes off so unbearably cheesy. Mm-hmm. Th- this strikes a nice balance of never trying to be too serious about the apps that it's developing and all of them kind of have a, a little bit of a sort of cheekiness to them. So it's, it's easier to buy them as part of the story and not get hung up on like, you know, uh, just how dumb some of them sound. If that makes sense. Right. Like one of the things that always bugged me as a kid about the movie hackers was that like <laughs> I, I I use the internet and it looks nothing like the internet from Hackers, but they were trying to make it like more cinematic and cool. And I feel like when people talk about apps and stuff like that in media, the apps all do things that are like absurdly improbable and stupid. And I feel like the stuff in this book, although it's still obviously a fictional superhero comic, just manages to do things that feel a little bit more true to life. Yeah. What I'm saying is my email has never burned off my screen like it does hackers. <laughs> Yet. If only. Yeah. Yeah. N- Nobody in the movies, you know, when they tried to show the internet, ever tricked anyone else into going to meatspin.com, you know? <laughs> yeah. No one has a lemon party in the movies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Something, something goatsy. <laughs> uh, speaking of something, something, did anybody bother to crack open Batman Beyond this week? 
just now for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am scrolling as we speak. I read it, you guys. I did my homework. The art looks nice. Oh, I love Phil Hester's art. I, yeah. I have mm-hmm. a I have a comment on Phil Hester's art. I love the way that he does action. I love how he he doesn't do it a lot in this issue. He does it a couple times. He's done it in other previous issues too, and I always notice it and appreciate it when he does it. But he cuts the pant like rather than having actual solid panels in between the action, he sometimes likes to cut like in the middle of a scene a character will be uh, like there's a staff that uh, what's his name? Stalker uses. And Phil Hester uses that staff. Like when Stalker's swinging it around to actually divide where there would otherwise be a panel division. Yes. And it really, really works. He does it like maybe three or four times in this issue. And I love it. It looks so dynamic. It connects (laughs) <laughs> like one one panel to the next in a way that completely makes sense and works visually. Um, it's a really cool effect. Um, the story is kind of garbage. Um, <laughs> we should say this is also a Jurgens joint. Jurgens and Hester. Yep, this is the comic where you're getting extremely Jurgens. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, at the end, of the, like, it literally ends with a like comical round, like old school bomb. Like there may have well been a giant wick sticking out of it, you know, with like a comical flame at the end, like rolling up to Terry at the end and then going off. And I felt like it was almost like a sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb situation. Um, this is, it was just like a silly way to. To end this, every issue has to have a cliffhanger, like no matter how overused or or cliche it is. Yeah, I feel like in this book, like like this was the book where a couple issues ago, uh, uh, they pretended that Terry was getting his back broken, like the Bane thing. Yep. <laughs> and then the very next issue, it was like immediately, like nope, <laughs> you know, nope, they, he was just at the chiropractor. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah, yep. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much else to say about this. Um, so okay, I got one more thing to say. So Bruce is watching this fight go on between Terry and Stalker, and like Terry's getting his ass kicked, and Bruce is watching the whole time, and. Uh, this character, Dana, I forget her relationship to everybody else, but uh, Dana, you know, n- clearly knows the situation, knows who Terry is, knows who Bruce is, and knows that he'd be watching this, you know, or no, like she knows how the operation goes, right? And she basically like runs up and calls Bruce on this phone and, and says, Bruce, you got to help Terry. And they make this huge big deal out of it, and it's like, yeah, Bruce knows that. Like, Bruce knows <laughs> Terry's getting his ass kicked. And they take, like, two pages out to have this girl run up and say, Bruce, Terry's getting his ass kicked. You gotta help him. It's like, yeah, that's kind of how Batman Beyond works. Like, Bruce watches Terry get his ass kicked, and... <laughs> that's a weird decision. Yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of a silly little... 
Like, it felt like, oh, we need something for this Dana character to do. So she's got to relay Bruce, some information to Bruce that he already is well aware of. It was very strange. Can we also comment on how it's very weird that this book is still being published? It mm. is weird. It's come. Is it coming to an end? No, it's not. It's still oh, going. Dang. I mean, I want there to be uh, like a be- like a beyond line, but I want it to be. I don't want it to be your typical like Jurgens joint. I guess. Yeah. Uh, speaking of lines, let's just pause here. We didn't talk about the Sandman universe at all. No, we didn't. Oh man, it- it's huge news. Yeah, we skipped over our. Yeah, that and the two Bendis books. Yeah, um, why don't we do this? Then? Why don't we actually? Why don't we get through like half these books? We'll take a break in the middle, and we'll talk about the news then. Sounds just, good. Just we're not rushing through it now. Um, but okay. Anything else to say about this book? No. no. Phil Hester's good. Um, let's talk about the last issue of Blue Beetle, written by Chris Sabella, illustrated by Scott Collins. Um. I don't know if this is like partially confirmation bias that like I'm happy the book is ending, but this is my favorite issue of this book so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this issue is good. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, not a lot to say about it, um, but it was fun. I liked getting Ted back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't quite so teenage bickery. Um. It was a nice like twist on the the usual conversation between a hero and their significant other about why they have to keep things from them. Like mm-hmm. I felt like it was actually a, re- a relatively frank conversation where like his girlfriend wasn't mad that she was mad that he lied, not mad about like he, you know it was, just, it, was it, it was a it was handled just slightly differently than that conversation is usually handled, and I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, like in, instead of being mad that he's out there putting himself in danger or whatever, she's just mad that she was lied to. And uh, instead of his excuse being that she needs to be protected uh, from danger because of his secret, it was that uh, Blue Beetle just takes up so much of his time and stresses him out so much. And and he didn't want to bring that on to her. And... That's, yeah, like you said, it's a subtle difference, but it is different from the song and dance that we usually get. And I feel like, I feel like it's legitimate. I feel like we've all read enough comics where that exact situation plays out. And I understand why it happens, but this was a nice little twist on that. Um, Yeah, I just, I liked Sabella's script in general. He had a lot of stuff in here about about what it would be like for a superhero who's sort of new at this to examine their life in the context of he grew up being a fan of superheroes, you know? Yeah. And he expects things to go one way because that's the way that stories are always told. And and in reality, it goes this way because he's actually living it, um, which is a really interesting angle. I feel like that's an angle that you don't always get. Um, at least not in like a self-reflective type way. Um, I also, um, I, I just want to say sort of an oddity about Sabella's script is I feel like, I, I think Sabella's a, a pretty good dialogue writer. And I felt like in this, he had Jaime using like 
some very like neutered teen speak. Like on, on one of the first pages, because honestly, being a superhero is fun as heck. Like that just that rang so untrue to me, and that doesn't feel like a Sabella line. I don't know. I think Sabella's dialogue is usually pretty naturalistic, and I just felt like there are a bunch of parts of this book where Terry was talking like Keith Giffen was still writing him. <laughs> hmm? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's just left such a mark on the character. <laughs> Can't. Can't get past it. Um, sure. I like, you know, if if Ethan Cobblepot is Mark Zuckerberg, then like Ted Cord is Elon Musk, right? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, except m- he's m- apparently texting for the first time in this issue. <laughs> yes, which is a little weird. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he's more like Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> 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 We're gonna do that again. <laughs> um, so, who's Barbara Gordon then in all of this? Oh, she's uh, well, she's Blossom. <laughs> I meant in terms of tech geniuses, but you know, I can I, I can buy Blossom, sure. I don't know. She's Urkel. So who's six then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> something, something, step by step. Uh, Mr. Feeney. Okay. Stefan um, Urkel. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Kimmy uh, one- Gibbler. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> All right. Uncle Jesse uh, and the Rippers. <laughs> hang, with, hang in with Mr. Cooper. Oh, fuck, you beat me. I was trying to think of one more. You beat me to it. There we go. Okay. All right. Uh, other thing I wanted to talk about with this issue, I have something of a minor fascination with final issues. I don't know about you guys, but like, no matter what the book is, even if I don't give a shit about the book or like I've fallen off, I always like checking back with a final issue. Um, sure, yeah, it makes sense. I like the covers of final issues because they tend to be. A trend in superhero comics is that the final issue of a comic is like a profile of the main character, and then they're surrounded by all the ephemera of the book. Yeah, anyone that was kind of involved in in the comic throughout its run, and that's what they're going for here. And I I, I really like when they do that because years later I can look back on this book, and even though I didn't care for most of it, I'll, I can look at the cover and I can kind of remember like what went on in it. And I just, I'm just like weirdly fascinated by final issues of things. And I also like the like final pages of a final issue because I always want to see where they leave the character, you know? And I thought this was such a nice note for Sabella to leave the character on where it's just him and his friends dancing and kind of like, in this like carefree way where Jaime's basically found like the comfort of being blue beetle and working for Ted and time for his friends. And it was just a really nice, nice final page. I thought, and he's kind of, he's kind of ignoring Ted. Like he's, he's comfortable enough to ignore Ted for a little bit as his phone is ringing, you know? It's also nice to have the um, 
have the book wrap up in a way that didn't feel either super like forced like you sometimes books had to wrap up like every little tiny loose end at the end of the run and this didn't do that nor did it leave it open where if there's not a continuation of this you're gonna feel like you were gypped out of some story like it ended in a place that felt very natural where these characters when they do show up someplace else it will be natural but it was still a satisfying ending yeah Zach, do you have anything else on this? No, not really. Um, this run was pretty unspectacular. I thought this was a fine, you know, little capstone. It wrapped it up in a, like you said, kind of just like a, an enjoyable, light, um, you know, way that tied up everything nicely, but still you know, left potential. I, you know, I, I really like this character a lot, but I can't remember the last time he was written. Well, pre flashpoint. Yeah. 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 Wasn't that, who did that run? It started off with, um, man, I don't remember. I know. Didn't, um, Raphael Albuquerque do the art for a while. I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. I'll go look. But yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. From the new fifty-two on, I don't know why this character hasn't like to me. This is the perfect character. We've said this a thousand times to be a part of the Teen Titans mm-hmm. or to be a part of a team book. If you can't get the tone right, you shouldn't let the character disappear because DC has so few high-profile Latino characters. It would be, it's it's. It's a good move for a lot of reasons for Jaime to be more in the spotlight. Plus, he's an interesting character. He's an interesting variation on the Blue Beetle theme. Like, you know, I don't I don't know why DC doesn't use him more. Oh, Giffen. Yeah, it was Giffen. <laughs> Oof. Um, but then, he wasn't on it the whole time, though, was he? I don't know. No, it was uh, who, Rogers, who's John Rogers. I'm sorry, don't you mean Roy Rogers? Yeah. Singing Cowboy, First Beef Maven. 36 issues that series went. Wow. That's that's a third of an Azrael. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Just as Batman is the the center point for uh, Comic Cron and the sales charts and stuff. Um, we gauge all series runs by the length of Azrael. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Tom King is attempting to pull an Azrael. He is. <laughs> oh, man. I hope he, I hope he does oh. it. Um, I have one more comment about this comic. Go to the second to last page of the PDF. If you, do you have it open? I do. All right. So Jaime's dad's if, if is that his dad, I don't know. The the like apron he's wearing to do the grilling. Mm-hmm. Does it not say F the cook? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a dirty variation on kiss the cook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm zooming <laughs> in now, but I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. 
Yeah. F the cook. Man. Jaime's dad rules. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. All right. Let's talk about Detective Comics number 975, uh, written by James Titan IV, illustrated by Elvira Martinez. Uh, This was a hell of an issue, guys. It was heavy. This was so good. Let's count the reasons why Bruce isn't great. <laughs> First of all, I I would like read an entire series of just the Bat Family hangs out and points the finger at one another. Yeah, yeah. Babs calls everyone out on their shit. Yeah, Babs all the time. Yeah, yeah. We really do need a like you know late eighties, early nineties sitcom comic that is just the Bat Family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about how cool the like opening framing device was? Mm-hmm. Where Kate is at her mother's funeral mm-hmm. and uh, just the stuff between her and young Bruce felt very authentic. And you can kind of see like the divergent path that they went on at that point. Um. Yeah, it was definitely a different time. No one told young Bruce not to make finger guns. <laughs> uh, yeah, there yeah. was um, that was a sequence that, in the hands of a lesser creative team, would have been very, very mawkish and overdone. But I felt that it it really worked here, even though it's about as predictable of a scene as you can get in this type of an issue it was still super effective yeah Um, i felt like it actually felt like two kids talking you know yeah Mm -hmm. and you know speaking of lesser creative teams just like how great is it to have martinez back yes man It, it looked so good there were a couple of of panels like when um when Dick shows up in Oracle, I mean, Batgirl's like uh, Oracle lair there. Mm-hmm. Just his entrance was was wonderful. There were a couple of just like beautifully framed shots where every character got their moment, like their introductory moment, and looked very cool. You think they're gonna remove that word balloon for the Black Label edition of this comic? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> And it's just, it's just, he's just like, it, 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 a new word balloon that she just says like, hanging brain, huh? <laughs> and then no one mentions it again, just that one change. Yep. Oh, oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I. I noticed that Alfred is making weed brownies to watch the Russian ballet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And Cass is like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that scene with her and Damien was pretty great. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. She kicks Damien's ass. Damien in this the whole time is just great, though. Yeah. You know, and uh, Tanyan just, he just... 
I'm so mad he's leaving Detective because he he really manages to get the dynamics of the Bat family down pat. And this run, so much of it, especially the end of it, is about sort of how the family interacts with each other. And I just want more of this. And we're not going to get it for a while. So that's that's a bummer. Yeah. Well, I wonder what direction the book will take after this. You know, if, if the new creative team will build on it or... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends on who the team is. Um, I think it's a, in a week and a half or so. Yeah, yeah. we should. Um, man, I also just love... I mean, this is a really basic thing, but I love that we end up... Like, the things that Bruce has done end up causing the thing that he was trying to stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved how this issue ended. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for this last arc. Yeah. Yeah. Safe to say this is one of the best, uh, runs in rebirth. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. When all, when all is said and done. Yeah. I would say easily top five. Um, Maybe even top three. Maybe. It's it's this and Deathstroke and... If we're not counting Young Animal, this might be yeah, top I, two. I, I specifically meant like Rebirth mainline. Right, like Stuff yeah. that started with Rebirth and was mainline. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because there have been really great things like we've talked about, but nothing, few things that remain consistently high quality. And, I, and I would you... say this Deathstroke and Batgirl mm-hmm. might be the three most consistent. Yeah, I can yeah. I can get behind that. And we and I know we there were like issues where we were a little down, like a little less enthused about this book just because we thought some stuff was dragging out but like to see it come full circle you can really forgive a lot of that Mm -hmm. you know absolutely yeah definitely And, and i'll even take it a step further i feel like obviously this doesn't have the weight of the the morrison bat run to it nor does it have the sort of like character redefining qualities of the Snyder Capullo arc uh, run rather but I feel like in terms of the Bat family I can't remember a Bat arc that has been this satisfying from the perspective of many characters in a very very long time no definitely not uh, and it, it, you've, if you consider his his pieces of Batman Eternal as part of this, which and like this, of all the series that DC's the DC has published since then, this book is the most influenced by those two Batman Eternal weeklies. Like Tyne has been telling the yeah. story for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you think about it; like, he has become, and you know, a few, matter of a few years, one of the definitive modern voices for you know tim steph um cass um 
you know, at least those three for sure. Clayface, I mean, he is Clayface, he is, yeah. He is the Clayface writer. Right, just think about how many characters he's he's elevated and brought out of the, you know, the new 52 ghetto here. And even people like Luke Fox, who are not all that important in the grand scheme of, of Batman comics right now, he's mm-hmm. done more with Luke Fox than, than his, I don't know, eight or ten issues of Batwing did. No, he he brought Azrael back and made him good again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the things that, that you know, Kate Kane has, um, like, the, the kind of, like, new doors and things that have been opened up for her. Um, yeah. It's, um, this is a great book. It is. I feel How many like, more issues do we have left? Uh, he's solicited through, I believe, the end of May. Okay. So two in March, two in April, two in May, six more. Six more. That sounds right. I think I saw, I think I saw nine eighty one was his last one. Yeah. Okay. And this next arc is called Batman Eternal. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's going to be following up specifically on those two Eternal weeklies. And sure. Timmy, Tim even says I wanted to make Batman Eternal in this. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was just—it was a really clever issue. It was really well done. Yeah, so good. So so good. Speaking of so so good, and really cleverly done. The Demon Hell is Earth. Oh, <laughs> no, I thought we were doing Doom Patrol next. Oh, uh, Demon comes before Doom, my friend. <laughs> yeah, not in our, uh, n- yeah, not in our PDFs. Well, because we have it by the, but I, I had the Demon next. Um, we can talk about the Demon. Uh, I This is a book I had to Wilkerson this week due to time constraints. <laughs> yes, I actually read this. <laughs> 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 Zach, that was really satisfying. Guess who just got back today? <laughs> <laughs> this is not good, though. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't aw- it wasn't awful, but man, I just—it's not awful. But this issue was uh, like these four characters walking around talking to one another, <laughs> and not the most compelling way to to utilize these. Uh, Fantastical characters is it's it? utilized one sixth of a miniseries too. Yeah, yeah. Like the issue, the issue literally begins with like uh, the demon belly Belial, Belial, mm-hmm. uh, like like looking looking at Earth and being like, ah, I'm taking over. Uh, we're soon we're gonna charge the gate and uh, and then like. Etrigan and this other group just like wandering around preparing for it and talking to one another and really not much happens. Um, Etrigan's like acting like a kid doing like the whole, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Thing. I don't know. So if that... annoying. Yeah. Doesn't I don't make know. any sense. No, that's more of like, a... I don't think he's really the character for that. You know? No. It is that's like a Bizarro. Like I could see Bizarro doing that, you know, or 
So not Etrigan. That, that doesn't seem fitting to me. Um, yeah, really, really not much going on. And Brad Walker's art's nice, but um, mm-hmm. wish it was I in mean, a better book. Yeah, and also just every reference this book makes to Demon Knights makes me wish we had <laughs> Demon Knights again. And it's like, why don't we have Demon Knights? And yeah, well, it's because. Hell is Earth, Zach. Yeah, I know. Just like, um, just like Rick and Morty meets Black Mirror. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I when I reported that news to the Multiversity Slack channel for the news team, I literally wrote "barf" with nine A's in the middle, and they just posted the link. So, yeah. uh, I will say, this uh, you guys just aren't uh, intelligent enough to understand yeah. I, Rick and be- Morty. In full disclosure, I have never seen a, a, a second. Thank you, recording. young Snellden. Snellden? <laughs> Why did I say Snellden? Snellden. No because now we owe the makers of Young Sheldon some money for saying Young Sheldon. So right. uh, I, he's, I do... he's actually standing right behind me now. <laughs> oh, Bazinga. Oh, um, I, I no. do want to say one thing about this book, though. Okay. Uh, gone, gone, the form of man, rise the demon, Gene Parmesan. <laughs> god damn it it makes me laugh every time yeah me too (sighs) oh yeah not great not great not great bob not great bob it's uh it's no doom patrol slash jla no so, so let's let's get to that yeah um Doom Patrol JLA special number one. Uh, There's a comic <laughs> in this issue if you didn't know from the cover. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> s- somebody on Twitter tweeted at Multiversity and said along the lines of, "I don't get it. Why did they make the cover look like a cereal box?" <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, I do want to say that there's there's a very tricky way this issue was credited. So it says, you know, written by Orlando and Way, illustrated by Dale Eaglesham with Nick Darrington doing sort of the you know the, the modern sequence, the last sequence. But mm-hmm. then at the bottom it just says in very very small print, uh, additional art by Sunny Lou, Ibrahim Mustafa, Michael Avon Oming, and Marley Zar- Marley Zarconi. Uh, <laughs> But like, what a murderer's row of 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 art talent on this book! Oh, um, incredible! So I great. have a thousand good things to say about this issue. <laughs> Let's spend an hour let, on. Let it. me count them. One. No. Um. Maybe the best event book DC's done since. Final, Final crisis. crisis, yes. You guys, everything goes back to Final Crisis with you guys. <laughs> no, everything usually goes back to Blackest Night. No, for me it is Final Crisis. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm always saying the best something something since Blackest Night. <laughs> um, oh, man. Everything about this issue. We get, we get Batman saying the words muscle mystery. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we in addition to muscle mystery, we get inflation intensity. <laughs> yes. We get we, 
where oh where's my favorite line in the whole thing um it's vixen my 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 tattoo totem connects living things it can connect us jane scarlet harlot can focus the psychosexual energy of inflation (laughs) (laughs) yes yes oh um God, even starting on the first page. So you've got like yeah, Dale, yeah. you've got Dale Eaglesham doing this like border stuff that he's been doing. I, you know, he he didn't do this kind of thing on Fantastic Four, did he? When he was d- with Hickman, I don't. It's been a while. The I first time so. I remember it, and this is a weird book that he was doing it on. Was when he was doing it on that Sinestro book. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's mm. what I was. Gonna yes. Say. Yes. And and ever since then he's been adding it to like certain books that he's been drawing, and I th- I think it looks fantastic. I don't know how he does it, like if he literally hand draws all of that, or if who knows? Maybe he has like a bunch of symbols in a program, and he like pulls them up and does it that way. But I think it looks great. I think it was perfectly fitting for this like interstitial stuff with Rita Farr. Uh, where she's like, it's like a Renaissance painting of her getting corrupted by this tentacle shit to the point where she ends up on a cross, you know, mm-hmm. um, God, which is like a carryover from the, the like Rita Farr, Jesus Christ, superstar stuff. in yes. in, um, Cape Carson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Oh man. I loved a lot of Milkman Man's lines, mm-hmm. uh, where instead of truth, justice in the American way, it's lies marketing in the retcon way. Yep. Um, I also loved him proclaiming he's not a victim. Yes. Yep. Uh, I love when he's when Wonder Wife or when Wonder Woman shows up and he goes, "Wonder Wife, where's your golden vacuum?" <laughs> That's like the that's like something the tick would say, you know. <laughs> like, yes, it is. <laughs> which I feel like if you're writing like a silly Superman, you're basically writing the tick. So that works. Um, what else? When caves like I think I have something in my eye, and <laughs> everybody jumps out. Oh God. Yeah that that scene where they all coming out of the eye is so good. Yeah. Um, This book, I had a lot of trepidation about this crossover um, just because I was really afraid that the, this would water down young animal and make it something less. Um, But I think it's done the opposite. There's, we have like a greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing going on slash. It also really elevates the main DCU in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just demonstrates that like the, the, the capes and cowls of the DCU can hang with the weird shit, you know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't feel out of place. And, and I, I think the only thing it felt like they, like young animal had to sacrifice for this was some of the language, because you'll notice that like, there are yeah. times where they swear and it's edited where in young animal, it wouldn't be, mm-hmm. but I think everything else from the visuals to the tone to the weird body horror stuff 
I, like I feel like that's all intact. It's it, young animals like entirely intact. This feels way more like DC characters coming over to young animal than the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even at the same time, like Eaglesham's art. Um, is it Eaglesham or Eaglesham? Eagles, Eagles, Eaglesham. Eagles. It is Eaglesham. Okay, yeah, I believe it is. Um, yes. Eagles it, ham is uh, is is what Don Henley and company enjoy yeah. after a show. <laughs> One of these sandwiches. <laughs> you can check out anytime you like. <laughs> anyway, um, just like like that splash page where they come out of the eye. That looks like a like big superhero event splash page. Yes. You know? That's, um, that's what I was going to say about this issue to me, which made it feel really special. And by special, I don't necessarily mean, um, I mean like unusual in a good way. Is that textually it was the it was the most young animal of the issues, but visually it was the most mainstream DC of the issues. And so I think that that led to something just feeling really different than what we're used to, and I, I really enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah, me too. But um, I, I mean, we can keep going. Like, we can keep going through this issue because there's a lot yeah. to talk about. Um, it kind of like naturally reset all the young animal books for their new status quo. Yes. Yeah, that was cool how they all showed up with their corresponding artists and yeah. including Eternity Girl, who we yes. don't know much about, but there she is. And so cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, but also like a lot of meta commentary about just like the nature of comics continuity and reboots and kind of the state of the DCU as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's one thing here, which I think we'll probably get into maybe a little bit more towards the end of the issue with like one of the big status quo changes, but I did, maybe you all can correct me. Maybe there's something I missed, but I feel like this is one of the big instances of where, you know, how Milk Wars has kind of gotten ahead of where Doom Patrol is in that there's this whole plot thread of about Cliff being uh, a fan fiction character, like not the real robot man. Mm-hmm. And and there's references to like the Golden Age robot man and that stuff. Um, that Because that, that wasn't really mentioned prior to this, right? No, but I don't know if that, like to me, the more glaring example is... Milkman Man being Casey's baby. Well, yeah, but we established about, that. we talked about that yeah. one too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that one. Um, I just thought this was this was another one that kind of presented itself in this issue. Yeah. Um. um but I thought fine. the I thought the Cliff Steel stuff totally worked. Like you got it. I think mm-hmm. when at the end when he shows up as like the norm normal looking dude with a mustache like as Norm from Cheers yeah yeah yes. yeah exactly yeah like there like that moment landed it felt it felt as important as it was supposed to um mm-hmm. yeah I loved when the the coffee cup got set down on the on the multiversal map and. <laughs> It ended up causing like the the sort of um, b- like the burn in the film. 
yep. <laughs> of like the 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 comic we were reading. Yeah, that was cool. Um, um maybe probably the the best most fantastic way to bring back Rita Farr. Mm-hmm. She had probably like one of the best moments in the whole issue where she like expands her consciousness. Yeah. Also just like such a great idea for like working within the confines of that character in a way that, you know, most writers probably wouldn't think to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last those... page where everyone is a balloon. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Awesome. Inflation intensity. <laughs> Psychosexual. Um, I love the Nick Darrington pages. Everything about the, those pages was just, yep. just the emotion, that final page where everybody is like sort of smiling. Like they just look so content at the end all together. It just looks so good. It almost made me cry. You guys. <laughs> oh, it, it was so nice seeing Darrington draw the DC characters too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was particularly great. Um, he's he's a delight. He's a talent. Um, one thing I want to point out or use a little bit of conjecture for is that, um. I thought it was interesting how, like, one of the big plot points is that Casey lost Milkman Man, who was her son, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she says something like, uh, let's see, a sad voice holding each other, but when I try to see who's there, I can't explain it or define it. I think I had a child. I think Terry and I had a son, but it's nothing. That, to me, and I don't know that it was a specific reference to this, but it made me think immediately of, like, Spider-Man and One More Day. And the uh, there, there's even there, there's even a part where they kind of call they kind of, um, they say the next day comes and it is the only promise we ever truly have. And the next day is like bolded. It just made me think of comic events like that, like what happened to Peter Parker, like how an event just takes away something from these characters lives. And we, we're expected to never talk about it again, you know? (laughs) And I felt like that was some sort of commentary on that, or even on, you know, Jonathan Kent pre, pre-rebirth or pre-new 52 you know am i am i off base there no i don't think so do you do you think that this will be followed up on like do you think we will get like a rebooted version of her son it's tough to say because i i i can never guess where where uh, young animals ever going you know mm-hmm. i feel like it could be something that was just like utilized as a device for this event or 
or they could resolve it in a future issue or bring it back, you know? But I just felt like the point that was trying to be made was how how these things are taken away in the blink of an eye, you know, from comic book characters, you know? It's almost like the Aquaman annual thing that Philip K. Johnson wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that Way and Orlando were trying to do here was just, you know, play with the idea of continuity and the idea of things coming in that in and out of continuity. So I don't think we're going to see Casey's baby again in the Gerard Way Doom Patrol run. But I think they're setting it up for if somebody 15 years in the future wants to deal with it, they can. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's is kind of the nice thing about comics is um, people do come in and grab these you know, pick up the the pieces again after, you know, we've long forgotten about them, or most people have. We're obviously going to remember Casey's Baby for the rest of our lives. Yes. <laughs> of course. All right, let's do one more and then the break. Uh, the Flash, number 41, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Carlos de Anda. Uh, we get a, a an issue of, uh, of a depowered Barry Allen, we get a lot of both Wallies. We get a little bit of the Flash of China. We get a little bit of Grodd action. Um, I liked a lot of this issue. Barry kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah Barry, Barry Barry was a real asshole. And Barry kind of always sucks, though. He's definitely the least interesting of the Flashes. Yeah. 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 It it was really fun having the other three flashes interact. Yes. Um I like Wally pulling yeah. the like the, the florist out of Central City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that stuff a lot. Yeah, everything with with older Wally was really great. Um him getting to relive his his Central City days. Yeah. Um I'll really always good. be a Keystone kid though. Yep. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Barry's the worst. Yeah, Barry sucks. Um, that's yeah. why he got. That's why he got cuckolded by by Bruce in in Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn right. I um. But, but I'm finding this really compelling, though. Like. The Grodd stuff is fantastic. Um, it's too yeah, it's too bad. Uh, Barry's such a dick, but everybody else is so delightful that kind of makes up for it. Yeah this this feels like the beginning of establishing that thing that Jeff Johns is trying to do with a sort of Flash family book. I'm not saying that this is going to be that. But it's the first time since pre-Flashpoint that we've seen multiple speedsters interacting with one another on a regular basis. So let's hope Jay Garrick and Max Mercury aren't far behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesse Quick, etc. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. Let's um, come back in a minute and talk about some news and then get back to the books. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And we are back with a bit of a news break. Um, so this past weekend was Emerald City Comic Con. By the way, have either of you guys seen the Captain Marvel Shazam commission that our pal Leo got from uh, Doc Shaner? No. He put it on it's Twitter. Great, it's fantastic. So good. Um, but anyway, at Emerald City Comic Con, DC announced two kind of big things. The first is uh, two new Jinx World titles from Ryan Michael Bendis. Uh, I'm not super interested in that. What I am super interested in is this new uh, Sandman universe. These four books that take place within the Sandman mythos. Neither, uh, None of them are written by Neil Gaiman himself, although he did uh, plot the uh, sort of the sort of one shot that will launch it. But Zach, why don't you tell us what the four books are and uh, who's writing them? Okay, yeah. So we have. Do you want me to like do descriptions too, or just? Ah, uh, sure. Why not? Okay. Um. So first we have House of Whispers, written by Nalo Hopkinson. Um. Follows the voodoo goddess Urzuli. Um. After her, after the House of Whispers becomes part of the Dreaming, um, also follows a comatose woman who is revived by her girlfriend and sisters with the Book of Whispers. I don't know. It all sounds very high concept. It's really out there. Um, then we have Books of Magic by Cat uh, Howard, um, and it is probably the the. Well, I guess there's one other one that is is pretty familiar, but it will uh, focus on Timothy Hunter from the original Books of Magic series. Um, then we have The Dreaming, I written by Tim Hunter, though, isn't it? I think you're right. It is a reboot. Yeah, it's a reboot. Um, yeah, so different. Um, next, we have The Dreaming. Written by Cy Spurrier, who's the only writer I recognize from this group. Um, I believe the rest are novelists, if I'm not mistaken. I, th I think you are correct. Um, the Dreaming will follow um, classic Sandman characters like Lucian, uh, the Librarian, Matthew the Raven. Um, after Dream goes missing. Um I think of all of these, it has maybe the, the weakest pitch, but I don't know. We'll see. And then lastly, um, we have Lucifer, written by Dan Waters. Um, Dan Waters best, is a comic guy. Best known for Assassin's Creed Uprising <laughs> and Limbo. Um, so that is, you know, kind of ex self-explanatory. It's about Lucifer. Um, which makes me wonder what's going to happen to the Lucifer series. Or did that end? Is that, that still going? That's been over for a while. It shows what I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what we got. And um, we do know that um, uh, uh, Bilquis Evelly, is that her? Yeah. yeah um, is illustrating the one shot and. 
maybe involved with one of the books. Yeah, I, I think there's a rumor that she's possibly doing uh, the Dreaming book. Yes, okay. Um, this is weird and interesting, and I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something really interesting that Gaiman said, which was that, you know, he he loves the, this world and he's wanted to do more here for a while. And that he has specifically given the writers things they can't touch because he has plans to write more Sandman stories. And that that may not be happening right now, but he wants to get back into this world at some point. And I think it's really interesting to not wait until you have Neil Gaiman back to launch these books again. Like To me, it would be a very, very different announcement if there's a Sandman universe starting and Neil Gaiman's writing a new Sandman series. That's mm -hmm. much more of a pitch than there's a new Sandman universe. Here are four writers you may or may not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, on on one hand, I, I don't really care that Gaiman isn't super involved. Um, because, you know, eventually it has to kind of grow beyond him if it's going to grow at all you know just like every other comic series ever yeah um but as it is with all of things like this it's you know does it need to grow beyond its creator like is it do we need more sandman yeah i think we do <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Then this is going to be great, and we're all going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I'm excited that, like, it would have been easy for DC to, or, you know, DC and Vertigo to just do this on their own. And that we probably would have seen some of the same names that we have that we see all the time, you know. I think it was interesting for... Uh, Neil Gaiman to essentially be able to curate this with unexpected names, you know, names I'm not familiar with necessarily, but who seem to fit. Like, I think he, he had some quote about, uh, you know, he they couldn't do the comic involving sort of voodoo stuff, you know, whatever house, of, what is that, House of, house Whispers? of Whispers? Yeah. Yeah. That you know, he couldn't do that book. They couldn't do that book without somebody who understands that world, you know? And so he found a writer that he really trusts that is, that knows that world, you know? And that it's seems like it's done with intention and authenticity. And, uh, to me, that's really exciting. Cause I feel like we're going to get stuff that we don't expect and a style of comic that maybe we haven't read before. Um, so I'm really pumped about that. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, I mean, I think that there there's valid concern from people who say, you know, that if you look at sort of the big announcements that DC has made over the last few years, many of them, if not most of them, have been, hey, remember that thing you love? We got more of it. You know, um, and there hasn't been as much space for creating new ideas as there has been for sort of celebrating and rehashing old ideas. And 
Well, I don't think that's necessarily a totally true statement. I think there there is some validity to that statement. And I've seen a lot of people say, like, you know, all right, well, now DC's brought back Watchmen. They've brought back Sandman. They've brought back Doom Patrol. Like, what, what sacred cows are left? Uh, the Invisibles? That's probably the one. Yeah. I can't I can't tell if that makes DC like smart and brave or overconfident and stupid. Well, or both. My my perspective on it is that um at least with things like well, I guess Sandman was technically a DC property, but not really in the way that Neil Gaiman, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the first trade or two sort of skate the line between right DC and not DC. Yeah. But like, you'll, you'll probably never see something like, I mean, it's just, it's, it is tough for, to, um, for creators to create, new characters and concepts that they think are going to be really good and then do them at DC, you know, they're probably going to do those somewhere else. Probably going to do that at image or something, you know, like you're going to get new characters at DC, but they're going to be like minor characters or, or like, uh, or a, a new lantern. Yeah. A new lantern, you know, et cetera, maybe a new throwaway villain, but like, we'll never see, truly new entirely new concepts like that at dc again and so to they have to keep going back to the well and recycling certain things and that's what they exist to do as a corporate entity now Mm -hmm. or at least like they will be very very few and far between like it's not that they can't happen it's just that's just the nature of media right now you know right creativity and innovation isn't coming from the the conglomerations you know the the corporations and it's coming from the smaller guys you know right um zach as as our resident bendis aficionado uh I, I I will I will alternate which of you I call our resident Bendis aficionado from here on out. By the way, um, we really need Walt to get on here because he's we do. the we do our, our good good friend Walter Richardson. Um, but what do you guys think about the two new Jinx World titles? Uh I'm actually really excited because I like David Mack a lot. What's um, that book called? I can't recall now. Well, so he's doing. I think he's doing the art for one and the covers for the other. I believe you're um, right, yes. Yeah, so first there is um, there's Pearl, which is written by Bendis, illustrated by Gatos. Um, so it's basically Jessica, Jessica Jones at DC. Yep. Um, and it's about... Um, it actually has a really kind of cool premise, I think. It's about a tattoo artist and Yakuza gang war and and it, I don't know. It just sounds cool. Um, and then the other one kind of has a cool premise too. That's the one that's illustrated by Mac. It's called Cover, 
and it's about a it's a spy thriller about comic book creators who get who become kind of you know secret agent spy types. <laughs> it's Tom King in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Mott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, but already, how many books has Bendis writing now? <laughs> <laughs> That's at least four that we know. Of. Plus, you know, we're, I, I, you know, we're gonna get a Powers relaunch soon. Well, guaranteed. He said, he said he has a Powers OGN ready to go. Okay. <laughs> so, so we like finished. It's already drawn. It's done. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, so we might be spared a powers ongoing for a while while we get the powers OGN. Maybe. That's fine. Did you see that all of Jinx World is now on Comicsology under DC as of this past week? Yep. Time to read it all. Yep. And it's it's kind of weird because I had um bought a few issues of Scarlet a few years ago. And um, there are different files now than the ones that are under DC. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the bendicification of the DC universe has begun. It's happening. It's happening. Uh, I'm ready, I guess, since I can't, since we're not going to get Hickman. Uh, I, oh. I, we'll see about that. I hope that's... Oh, God. Hey, you don't just eat avocado toast with anybody. (laughs) I believe it. Was it avocado toast? Oh, it was. was. Yeah, 100%. That is serious. I mean, that's a lot of money they're throwing down. That is is the millennial equivalent of a Blood Brothers handshake. Even avocado toast goes bad after two years. That is true. (laughs) Uh. Come on, Hickman. You know you want me, baby. You know you want to come over to DC and play with this fun stuff. <laughs> that is all. Okay. Um, so let's get back into the books. And, and let's try and do this relatively quickly because there's a couple of books we're going to want to talk a lot about. Um, but first, let's talk about Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, the best bit of this week's reading for me was when I realized the cover said Ethan Van Skyver for this issue, but the Interiors said it was Rafa Sandoval. Uh, yeah, I I actually didn't read this issue because, because the because cover was... because the cover misled me. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's Rafa Sandoval does the art, and it's much it's it's a million percent better than Van Skyver, even <laughs> if it's not my favorite art. Characters aren't just like walking around in crazy poses. No. <laughs> I uh they're not insanely flexing at all times. Yeah, exactly. I really like uh Kyle's Howling costume. It's almost like the directly after Green Lantern Rebirth costume when he was part of the just the Green Lantern Corps book. You mean Was that when he was when he was still Ion? No, this is pre Ion. Uh if you Google like the Green Lantern Corps volume one Okay. You'll because he see. became uh, he became Ion like right after that, right? It's right. Bef- that... It's right before he became Ion. It it was like... no. Well, I thought the Ion Ion book by the Ion book by Ron Mars was running concurrent to that, though. Uh, 
Because remember, he he had Ion up until Sinestro Corps War, and then he lost it. But it, it was well. He was he was Ion. If if we're getting technical, here. there's two two different Ion periods. Yes, there are two different Ion periods. But I believe this is between those two periods. Okay. But yeah. Um. Th- this issue was was fine. It's more of the same. Yeah, there were some weird things. There always are. Yeah. On uh, page four of the PDF, Zod essentially does his own version of the uh, of Rutger Hauer's dying speech from Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The Kryptonian refugee humans gave the ridiculous moniker Superman finds it easy to embrace his earthly home, but he knows nothing of true loss. He never lived on Krypton as I did. I've smelled the scent of moon roses blooming on the shadow side of the Jewel Mountains. I've seen sea beams glitter on the whatever he says. I've seen sea beams glitter. Okay. Thank you, Satchmo. You're welcome. Uh, Also, oh, it's Brian. (laughs) All right. So page five of our PDF, the title page. Mm -hmm. See the title of this issue? Zod's Will. No, no. What how Jordan do? I'm ha- I'm getting that exact thing tattooed on my chest <laughs> in the same font. WWHJD. Yep. I'm just gonna go in and I'm I'm gonna bring this page and I'm gonna say, "Give me that right here, chest." Um. Last thing I want to say. Zod is written in this issue as like. Uh, right wing like gun dad because like a like a Facebook dad that would like take a picture of himself with a fish and a gun or something like that. Because uh, he he brings up his son and like is all sensitive about it and then Hal says something about him and he says, Don't talk about my son which is like the total alt right like sensitive dad. He can get all sensitive about his son, but don't you dare put his son's his name in your mouth. I wonder if uh, if lore means like liberty in Kryptonian. <laughs> Freedom. Freedom Zod. <laughs> Indeed. And justice for Zod. Um, I have nothing else to say about this issue. Whatever, dude. Um, the Hellblazer, number 19. Tim Seeley's back. Uh, he's not necessarily good again. Uh, Davide Fabri illustrated this issue. Uh, this this entire issue is essentially a Cialis commercial. <laughs> His Todger is on the outs, mate. His knob. Also, marinas and swimming. His knob. His bullocks. <laughs> This tallywhacker, this, is this tallywhacker's right mezzed, mate. This willy is out of whack. Keep going. Uh, his, his plonker, his plonker is, is wonker jawed, mate. His bell end, his bell end's on the blink, mate. Big Ben's not ticking, sir. Oh, his John Thomas, John Thomas is out to lunch. London Bridge, falling down, can't get up. <laughs> His wedding tackle, mate. It's skint. 
What exactly? Skint man. So you, you have actual phrases for dicks, and I'm just saying things in England. <laughs> Abbey Road Studios. <laughs> the Twiggin' Berries, mate. He's lost his mojo. Crikey. <laughs> his dick don't work. Thank it's you, like Steve Irwin. <laughs> No, that's what that's May what you pa- rest in peace. <laughs> Austin Powers in gold member says Crikey, I lost my mojo. Uh, oh I, no, 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 no. I, I only heard Crikey. That was in the spy who shagged me, my friend. Uh is you're right. You're you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't don't fuck with the powers, man. I did have a dream recently where I was dying and I wanted to pick a funny epitaph for my tombstone. <laughs> Uh-huh. So whenever people walk through the cemetery, they would laugh when they passed my grave, and I chose, crikey, I've lost my mojo. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what my brain does when it's not working. Uh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. This book uh. is fine. It's not good. It's almost over, I hope, but it's not probably. Uh, his dick don't work. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Yeah, Huntress shows up at the very end. Yes, Huntress does show up in a confessional, uh, getting dressed into her Huntress gear. I guess it's the only place you can change in Italy. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot that that you call it a sausage in the mouth. <laughs> we shan't be telling your mother this, <laughs> shan't we? <laughs> <laughs> This ding dong is is right chuffed, mate. It's blood bloody chuffed. Maxwell chuff- Silver Hammer. <laughs> is chuffed bad or good? It's probably. I think it's good. I don't know. No, I think it's bad. I think when I think when somebody says I'm right chuffed, mate, I think they're pissed off. Okay. I'm not gonna look it up though. We're just gonna be ignorant, and someone will message us, and I don't give a shit. No, they won't. Um, One of our three listeners will. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Justice League of America. Um, yeah, everyone's dick works in this issue. As far as we know. To be fair. Know, Dream Slayer, like, who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say is there isn't, like, there isn't, like, a round table. Like, all right, guys, dick check. How's it going? Ray, yeah. go. Lobo, main man. You know. Uh, so we don't really know. <laughs> but, but this was written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca and uh, Minkyu Young. Yeah, I, I, okay. I think on the whole, Preparation H feels good. No, okay, <laughs> that is a Jesus gold member joke, my friend. <laughs> God damn it! No, on the whole. I think I enjoyed this issue, but man, does it get mired down in like the backstory and the context for who these characters are. Yeah. I, as I was reading this issue, I was perplexed as I am every, every two weeks when I read Justice League of America, where I say, this book is doing everything I've said. I wanted a Justice League book to do. It's bringing in characters like Blue Jay and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's talking about the multiverse and the microverse and doing all these things that are not just the big seven fighting dark side every five minutes. 
but goddamn, there is so much expository dialogue. This book is just expository dialogue upon expository dialogue. People talk about shit happening way more than shit actually happens in this book. Zach? I generally really liked this. But I think it's most it's more conceptually than the actual execution. I do think that this is one of the better issues in a long time. This is so when I when I I was in for this book for the promise of like the first arc and anytime like if this book had just been the first arc the microverse arc minus some of the you know the weird fill-in issues and then this i i think i probably would have thought a lot more highly of this book Mm. um because it, it that arc the arc that it's kind of followed there was what I wanted. I I don't really care for a lot of the side stories that we've gotten. Um, but I, and that's kind of like the, the like continuity, you know, junkie aspect of me. I think, um, these, these are the stories like quote unquote matter and, and, and kind of build into the overarching narrative of, I guess like the whole DCU. And, uh, you know, I, care about that stuff but um yeah this was that and i liked it yeah i think i think we all kind of like this and there's just yeah a little something holding it back like we were saying but but yeah yeah like Zach, I think it sounds like you're the most positive out of all of us, but which is weird because of all the yeah. crap I've given this book. Yeah. yeah. Um. So is this guy is the adjudicator supposed to be a watcher analog? Is that? Hmm. Did you guys take it that way? I, uh, I, I did, because if if you if you describe who this is, you think it's a monitor essentially, but it's not a monitor. But it kind uh-huh. of serves a similar role to the monitor, right? I guess. Yeah. And it's yeah. between a, a monitor and the watcher. Yeah. They're right. I also like the art. I like the art in this issue pretty well. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it was fine. This book overall has had a very nice art. Yeah. Um, um, again, I'm glad to see Blue Jay and Aztec floating around. Yeah. Yeah, man. If they could just... If this book could live on after this, minus Batman plus Blue Jay, <laughs> and maybe... Uh, nothing, nothing against Orlando, but maybe like a different creator just to get like a different voice in... Or a different take, I guess, maybe. Conceptually, again, like I just think I think this book's really strong. Um, it's just not scratched that itch for me like I would expect it to. Yeah, agreed. You know, yeah, def- I definitely have to hand it to Orlando here for, for putting this book together and doing what 
he's done um, for the most part, but I've just had issues here and there. Yeah, agreed. Uh, That brings us to Mira, Queen of Atlantis, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Lan Medina. Um, I know we had been pretty excited about this book for a while just because we're enjoying what Abnett's doing on Aquaman. And and while this was not like an earth-shattering first issue, I think it did everything it needed to. It reintroduced Ocean Master. It sort of gave a nice summary of Mira's status quo. It it helped to contextualize sort of what she sees her role as Queen of Atlantis being. You know, she kind of talks about being a, a transitional queen where she's not going to be a lifetime appointee, but she's going to sort of be there until they find somebody better. And then she still wants to marry Arthur. She still wants to live that life, Um, which, you know, knowing comics, we're never going to get to see. But I felt like this just, this established the the character for those who maybe aren't caught up on Aquaman, but also gave some, some nice little stuff to people who are reading Aquaman. Although to be fair, I don't know why you would pick up this book if you're not reading Aquaman. It just seems like, there's probably a fair amount of crossover there, if not total crossover. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah. So what'd you guys I, think? Uh, as I was reading this, I was kind of down on it. Really? At like, I think by the end it warned me over, but there was a ton of exposition in this. Yeah, I didn't necessarily need the retelling of the backstory stuff. Definitely. Um, I agree with you there. And like, also I didn't care for the art that much. Um, especially kind of the way Mara was portrayed. I don't know. Yeah. I think there were some sequences that were better than others. Um, We've also been very spoiled by Aquaman art as of late. Exactly. That's kind of that's kind of what it comes down to, I think, for me. Yeah. Vince, what'd you think of this? I thought it was all right. Um, the art, the art was fine, though. I felt like the the like the part where Superman and and Wonder Woman show up was a little jankier than the rest of the art. Actually, I think that, I think the scenes that are kind of done in like a sepia tone, like if the whole book would have looked more like that, I I felt like those scenes were really well done. I I agree with that completely. Yeah. It's almost as if like those were worked on first. And then, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but they just look, they look more refined than a lot of this other stuff. Um, yeah, I was a little bummed to see like a, the origin delved into so so much or reflected on so much. Um, but I guess not origin, but like backstory, you know, but I guess like it's Mara's first solo book. So I guess like you need that. Um, um, it was okay. I'm def I'm definitely excited to see more and I'm excited for her being the, being the queen or like, you know, if she ever assumes that role, um, I'm excited for that. Uh, she met not Hillary Clinton in this yep. issue, also, <laughs> which was a thing that happened. Hillary Hinton. 
<laughs> hey, nah. <laughs> Mark Foster. Uh, <laughs> Vince Foster? Vince Foster, there we go, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess my... Um, my hopefulness with this book is one of the things that, and we've talked about this quite a bit, is that like, ever since the New 52, there's been this attempt to make Aquaman on a sort of equal footing, or at least on a on a higher ground than he had been in the past, in terms of like a supporting cast and giving him something to do that isn't just, you know, the sort of stereotypical Aquaman go talk to some fish stuff. And I feel like between the Mira stuff and the Ocean Master stuff and also um what's her name? The the Atlantean who's taking care of her. Um Yeah, uh I don't know. Shit. It uh Tula. Tula. Yeah, it just seems like you know there's a lot of of sort of Aquaman side characters, backstory, um for the first time in a while, that stuff doesn't feel like shoehorned in. And this isn't even all of it. Like, this doesn't have Volko. This doesn't have Dolphin. It seems like there's we're, just, we're at a point now where a lot of Aquaman's sort of world building is finally taken. And so you can do a story like this, and it doesn't feel out of place. But yeah, I could, I could take or leave Land yeah, in his Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Did anybody read Raven? Yeah. Neg- negative, I did not. I did not either. Vince, I did talk, read it. Talk to us about Raven, Dawn of Darkness. Um, once again, I wish Pop Mahan would be on a better book. Um, Pop's art is great. Um, this is just a real weird book. Like, it's it's, you know, it feels so divorced from everything that's going on. Uh, in Teen Titans or like with Raven in any other book she's in. Um, she's just got this like normal home life with this like foster family she's with. And it feels so disconnected and inconsequential. And um, like literally none of it matters, you know, and it's not really a compelling story on its own. She's investigating some like Lovecraftian tentacle monster filled lab by the end of this, and I'm not sure why. You know, um, it's just such a nothing book. It's not bad. It's not like offensively awful. Um, it's just nothing. And that's why I didn't even open it. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the silencer number two, written by Dan Abnett. Illustrator, and I use that term loosely, by John Romita Jr. Um, <laughs> guys, what is this book? Um, <laughs> nice haircut. <laughs> <laughs> the, the haircut makes one horny. Yes. I just, on the way home from dropping off your friend at the airport at night... You just decided to stop and get a haircut. So and that's not I, I, weird. I, I was driving past the online supercuts, and I thought, you know, I really need a trim. <laughs> so I stopped in there. I, I used the app. I made an appointment uh, on the way to the airport. And then I stopped in there, got a, a dope haircut, and now here I am. Listen, he's clearly thinking with his Todger. 
<laughs> he's clearly his definitely works. He's not thinking, he's just horny. Don't get horny. That's the rule that we've talked about, guys. Don't do it. You where's start that, to Where's it trying to live my life by? Yeah. If you get horny, <laughs> your significant other could be doing assassin type work under your nose and you'll never know never because know. you're too horny to figure it out. So just don't do it. You become so horny that you become incapable of not talking about fucking your wife in front of your child. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Um, all, okay. So this carrot, this like villain named Blood Vessel, mm-hmm. it is a robot where the only organic part thing about it is the blood. There's like blood circulating through it's this like, robot. Like, like living blood or something. Why? Why would you need blood in a robot? It's it's sentient blood. So, okay, but isn't a robot, like, can't you just program a robot? Like, it's the DCU. Oh. Can't they just program a robot to... That's that's AI, though. Yeah. Okay, but how... So they're, they're saying that this person's spirit is alive because it's in the blood? Well, I mean, you're saying, does the blood have a soul? I don't know. <laughs> what Vince is basically saying is that this blood is not a real person. It can die without consequence. And I'm saying all blood matters. Oh, God, Brian. No, well, that's, that's not true. Only you really sentient blood. <laughs> you just took our show to a dark place, Brian. It's where I live, man. All right, all right. Forget the blood thing. How about I'm, Mall Mart? I'm drawn to the blood. Oh, Sufjan. Robbed. Robbed at the Oscars. Can't. Um, I'll never be able to say the Academy Award winning composer Sufjan Stevens. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, friend. Not till he lends his, uh, his, his fanciful, uh, sorrowful music to Minions 2 next year. I, I was going to say, not until he, he scores Fast and the Furious 10. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I, I like to think that this, this armory that she goes to at the end, Walmart, I like to think that it's during the, at night it's Walmart, and during the day it's Megalomart from King of the Hill. <laughs> What, where Hank Hill's trying to find a tap and die. <laughs> That's my joke about this. I got it. It's not a great comic. <laughs> uh, I still think that, uh, that Honor Guest is the weirdest name in comics. <laughs> And that's it. That's from the same company that has a character named Dex Star. Yep. And the same week where we read a character by the name of Linya Wazo. Honor Guest is still weirder. Yep. Because it sounds like honored guest. Like you well, would say I, on like an invitation, like be our honored guest. Right. It sounds like like the worst witness protection name ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it is. Like, hi, uh, this is my friend uh, Lynn Hiding. It's yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's literally the it's the usual suspects thing. Like she had to come up with a name when she met her husband. <laughs> she was looking and, at an invitation. It's yeah, an honored guest. Right, it's honor <laughs> guest. 
he dropped his coffee mug later when he realized how horny he was for her haircut. <laughs> oh man. Oi. Oi vey. All right. Am I the only one who actually read Suicide Squad? No, I read all the books. I already he, said this. He reads them all. I'm going to keep asking every time <laughs> just to make him angry. What was the best Marvel book this week, Vince? I, uh, uh, Doctor Strange? That's always a fair bet, yeah. Good. I'll take it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh... Yeah, I read Suicide Squad. My favorite panel of this of this issue is on page. Uh, what is this? With the PDF. Let's see. Why are you not, uh, page three, where Harley Quinn is posed in a way no human being has ever stood before, <laughs> and is saying like, "Hey yo," <laughs> such an awkward pose. You're talking about the one where she's got like her hand out. Yeah, and the other and hand's her on her hip. Yeah, and her eye, her one eye is like super wide open, and one is not. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible, John. Right, it's not even it's not even a nut face. No, it's not. It's a confused. It's a huh? Remember when <laughs> Cohen, Cohen used to do the huh? All the time? yeah, yeah, and his hair would like flip. Yeah, huh? Huh? yeah. It's a huh face. In the year two thousand, <laughs> Doctor Dre will have to admit. That he is not that no, no, so Doctor Dre will change his name to Mister Dre when he admits that podiatrists are not real doctors. <laughs> it's one of the best in the year two thousand bits. Yeah. Uh, oh man, my wife and I were watching my wife. My wife. We're watching some of those the other day, uh, and they were quite problematic. <laughs> oh really? Jo- jokes, jokes from uh, you know a decade or fifteen years ago that would not be on TV today. Yeah. I just remember when Mr. T was always on in the year 2000. He would just laugh the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite Mr. T ones was, Fools will come to my house. No, yeah. Uh, Fools will come to my house, but it will be raining and I will be home. And I will not be home, so I will continue to laugh at them and pity them. And he like, couldn't get a single word out. Like Every single word, he just cracked up because he was loving being Mr. T on Conan. Bless his heart. He loves curling, too. He does. He does. Um, um, all right, let's talk about Suicide Squad, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by uh, Eduardo Pansica. Um, This is shit. <laughs> Guys, guess what? They have brain bombs. I and, never and, guessed. And Waller has the, the controller for them. No, the issue ends with um, Waller blowing up Belle Reeves' uh, servers. Which essentially, it, if the art is any indication, it looks like it blows up the Suicide Squad, of course. Right. Because you have to blow them up at the end of every issue. It's yeah. like um, but it doesn't C-Lab. Blow up, but it, <laughs> listen up, sea monkeys. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't blow up the character who is literally living in the server. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This book is no good. It is no good. Zachy Wilkerson this? I have not read an issue of Suicide Squad since I I don't even remember. I can't remember the last time. It doesn't sound like you're missing much, though, does it? Mm-mm. No. If you guys go to page uh, 18 of our PDF, it looks like the woman 
directly next to Waller is doing the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> That's a nut face. There's a little bit too much dread in that, I think. Okay, okay. Face, but... Then the panel of King Faraday right below it that says, you didn't have to do that, Han, is enough. Oh, yeah, that is enough face. Agreed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next page, Captain Boomerang, totally a nut face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Crikey, he's lost his mojo. That's the moment he lost his mojo. <laughs> Austin, it is shit. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Teen Titans, number 17. Yeast Boy. Yeast Boy, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Scott Eaton. Um, I believe this, and again, I do not keep a running tally of these things, but do you guys ever recall Beast Boy referring to himself as Changeling since, like, the early 80s? Uh, I think didn't that pump up some in like the John stuff? Did it? Maybe I don't know. I have to admit, I I am spotty on my John's Teen Titans. I read a lot of it, but there's a lot of it I did not read. Also, I really don't know. I feel like it. Um, Regardless, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's definitely not like referenced often. Um. This is a weird issue of this book. And I I've been a pretty big fan of this book, but this is a weird issue of it. It is weird. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's very weird. Like there So Beast Boy ends up in this like Neverland place where he essentially gets like seduced cuz he's horny into again, don't be horny. Um, because then you get it's like, it's like being a brand ambassador for some evil people. Yeah, exactly. And he gets like a thing shoved, an implant shoved in his nose to like a probably some mind control thing. Um, it's the same thing they pull out of the boy who crashes the bus. Right. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I tend to like Scott Eaton's art, and I think he did a fine job here. I, I think his Beast Boy. Is is about five years older than every other artist's Beast Boy. I think, yeah, I, I like Scott Eaton too well enough, but I don't know that he's suited for a teen book. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, this is a bit heavy handed. This was a bit, um, yeah. It's just not a great issue of what's been a pretty good book. Zach. Um, I don't know. I really didn't have a lot to say about this. I I don't really care for this incarnation of Beast Boy that much. Um, yeah, I'm flipping through the issue, and I just yeah, I I don't know. It didn't do much for me. All right. What did a lot for me was the Terrifics number one. Oh. Written by Jeff yeah. Lemire, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. 
perhaps the best Ivan Reyes art ever. Oh my god. His his Plastic Man, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this, but it needs to be said again. His Plastic Man is so much more dynamic than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. He did some fun, fun stuff with Plaz. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of outside of his um his like typical wheelhouse too. Yeah. It's a lot goofier. He's usually very serious. Um, this book's off to a great start. Yeah, it, it's a little bit more decompressed than I thought it would be. Like, not all that much happens in this first issue, but it sets up pretty much everything you need to know about the series pretty quickly. Yeah. I would, I would almost push against that. I think because I mean the whole team gets together in one issue, and we kind of get the directive. Okay, that's fair. I, I guess what I was what I was trying to say is like I, I feel like yes, the team gets together, but I don't know. I I, I feel like this is um, what's what I'm looking for. It's it is a little light. Maybe, Maybe. That, is that kind of what you're looking yeah, at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of wish more happened in the issue. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I agree with you there. Um, but um, at the same time, like, bar, far and away, the, the most impressive and exciting um, New Age of Heroes book. Like, it's not even close. What would you put second after this? I mean, probably sideways. I guess so, yeah. I mean, we've only had the those three, right? Or has there been another one? We've had the silencer. We've had sideways. We've had... Damage. Uh, damage. Ah, damage. This. How could I ever forget damage? Yeah. <laughs> okay, then yeah, definitely sideways. Like, for sure. Um... There's a, there's a pretty wide gap between this and Sideways, but the gap between Sideways and the other two is <laughs> an infinite gulf. <laughs> uh, yeah. I um, Go ahead, Vince. I, I loved every page and every panel of this comic. Um, this really did it for me. Um... I think even if it was uh, even if it was light, as you say, I feel like every character is so. I think I think Lemire nailed every character, you know, um, especially Plastic Man. Like not only did Ivan Race uh, nail Plastic Man, but but I think Lemire got him perfectly right too. He's funny, he's dynamic, he bounces like literally off of the other characters. Um, I think Rex Mason's really well done. Uh, there's a great line where Plastic Man tells him that he has a real attitude problem, and he says, I know it's part of my charm, which is like a little bit more personality than you expect to get sometimes from, you know, I feel like people don't know what to do with Metamorpho all the time. And I, I feel like Lemire, I, like I am confident with the way that he's written all these characters that he is going to have a place for everyone, a plan for every one of them. And he gets it, you know? Um, I think it's 
an adventurous book. It's it's literally like you could picture the Fantastic Four in this situation. I mean, it, it, they, oh, they meet yes. a Galactus. They meet a Galactus. It, there are mole there's men. There's Kirby Crackle just like on like so many pages. You know, that's like that's all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's fantastic. And then the Tom Strong at the end, great twist. Oh, just awesome. So much Even, Italian chef kiss. Yes. <laughs> Even though we knew the Tom Strong thing was coming, I forgot about it in the huh. moment, like as you're reading it. And I was like, oh man, I just want to thought this book couldn't get any better. Here we go. <laughs> so I, I, I want to kind of play a variation on the game we usually play. How many more issues will this get than any other New Age of Heroes book? <laughs> this will be the only one that exists longer than a year. So did you guys see that uh, New uh, Challengers was downgraded from ongoing to a mini? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's only, also, six, it's only six issues now. Yeah, and Tom King is, co- I mean, sorry, Scott Snyder is co-writing it rather yeah. than... Yeah. So, is this the only New Age of Heroes book to last to 2019? Yes. Well, wait. Some of these ones that are starting real late, they they might make it. Okay. Let me let me rephrase that. Is this the only one to make it to 2020 and or make it past issue eight? I maybe like a better way of what like how I would say it. This is the only one that will have any like lasting importance. Well, of course, that was known ahead of time. Um, I just I just feel like this is it's the only one that'll make it past twelve issues. Okay, okay. I think so. I think some of those other ones could get a year. I don't know. I. Not maybe, all of them. Maybe sideways because I sideways think that, is one. Yeah, I, I think Ken Rockefort could possibly keep up with the schedule a little bit better than the other, the other guys can. Like I, I think some of it's going to eventually be if people are if people don't want to suffer through the non John Romita, non Tony Daniel arcs of these books, but those guys take so long. Eventually, DC's going to want them on a book that sells more, and so it's just going to be given up on because they just don't want to. They don't want to take Tony Daniel off of the next. Oh, none of them are coming back to their books. You don't think any the... of them are? No. No. Then I don't see him lasting twelve. Uh, Kenneth Rockefort maybe because he already made it to four issues solicited. But solicited the... means nothing, though. Don't forget that. Again, Ethan Van Skyver's name was on the cover of Hal Jordan this week, and his art's I... not in there. I know, but I I mean I believe that it signals to me that he's planning on being on this book longer. Okay. Whereas I feel like the other ones are all three and out, or one and out in Jim Lee's case. <laughs> They're not coming back. No, like I could see Lee doing issue like five. No, doing one and five or something. He's dra- he's already drawing the cover to Detective One Thousand, which he'll be late on, and it'll just be a picture of. Uh, Batman holding his underwear up in a, with a white background because that's all he'll have finished. Um, yeah, no, Ramita's done. Ramita's done after three. 
he's already forgotten that he co-created a character named the silencer but this book is not pc he's gonna no he's gonna walk through a comic book shop for like a signing in six months and he's gonna see the silencer issue six on the shelf and he's gonna go what's this social justice warrior crap (laughs) yeah he's not even gonna recognize his own character but why are we talking about that when we have this wonderful issue? Yeah. Um, it just needs, I, to be, it needs to be said again how good Reyes does with uh, with Plastic Man. Like, every page you see Plastic Man do something you would never think that Reyes could illustrate him doing. Because, you know, Reyes is just, he's known for his sort of bombastic action stuff and his very, you know, um, I think Zach used the word serious before, but you see Plastic Man just contorting himself and making himself into weird objects, and it's it's so great. Yeah. And it's not over, like, he doesn't... It's very cartoony. Like, he doesn't worry about it having to look as detailed as everything else he draws. Right. It you almost know? looks like a different artist drew Plastic Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is the great. First time, the first time you see him coming out of the egg, he looks like a dang minion. <laughs> he's got like the big eyes and he's got like the mouth off to the side. Then he looks like, well, I don't know when he's like eating them. That's a really cool image. And yeah, it's so expressive. So good. Um, late, like on page uh, 14, he looks like a sub boss from a Mega Man game <laughs> when he's spitting them out onto the yeah. planet. I think he'll have the cool spot there. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, cool spot. Um, okay, one thing I want to talk about with you guys. So this phantom girl that we get. Yes. It's Linya Wazo, mm-hmm. which the, the the phantom girl that we've always known before was Tinya Wazo. Mm-hmm. So presumably this is her ancestor. Yes. yes. So where we thought we might see a... Legion of Superheroes tie-in that's more immediate, I don't necessarily think we will. Is that... Yeah. You think that's... I feel like that's their way of avoiding the Legion. It's interesting. I wonder, like, what the what the long game is with this. To me, this book seems to be very much a... Uh... Like let's re- let's let's connect the dots of the DC universe type book. In a lot of ways, you're giving Lemire a lot of like disparate ideas to bring together, and I guess the Legion is one of those ideas, but not not a key one, at least not now, because this book will continue past issue six. Maybe after Doomsday Clock next year, he can deal with some of that stuff. Sure. Well, and but honestly. I think unless he is also writing uh, Legion of Superheroes, which very well could be the case, I feel like this is just their way of avoiding it. But still, but still getting a uh, Phantom type ca- Sue Storm esque character. Well, he, when when I interviewed him at the end of last year, he said. He purposely said, I don't want to say too much about the character because we're going to have some really cool connections 
oh, okay. with the character. So I don't. I mean, again, that could have changed the editorial. That he could be talking about something totally different than that. But I, I think there is a plan to keep to keep the Legion at least on the tip of our tongues for a while. Okay. You know. Yeah, um, that's probably all blown up because Hickman's not going to do it anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the the real answer is it's probably all blown up because Doomsday Clock is delayed a year and a half, and because of that, Hickman's not doing it anymore. <sighs> Thanks, Obama. Yeah. This is truly his fault. All right. Well, that brings us to our last issue of the week: Wonder Woman number forty-one. Written by James Robinson, illustrated by Steven Segovia. Um, this is a very weird cover slash title to the book, because it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Um, but that's okay. Um, or at least it doesn't until the, uh, maybe you could say the very end kind of ties into that, but not really. Uh, um, not really. I want you guys to both talk about this before I... So... You know, one of the things I think about a lot with with art of of various kinds, whether it's music or or comics or whatever, is I like it when somebody attempts to do to present something that feels unique, even though it's doing the same thing it kind of always does. And I feel like this is Robinson's attempt at like, well, how can I? I don't want to just do this straight story of Wonder Woman fighting these three different villains, and then it turns out blah blah blah. So I'm gonna do it. Like, she and Steve are having, like, a chat at the end of the day about their days, and so we're going to structure it this way. But by doing that, I think Robinson takes all of the the dynamics out of the battles, and so the battles feel very stiff, and they feel very uninteresting. And we know that at the end of it, Diana walks away scot-free because she's telling the story a couple hours later. So it takes all of the sort of danger out of those sequences and the conversation she has with Steve is so boring, and Steve sounds like a moron like five <laughs> different times in this book. He just says things that, that no one would ever say in conversation. Like he he recaps their life for just the two of them. Yeah. You know? Um. And it just it just again I I understand the desire to shake up the status quo of of the way a story is told. But this just isn't is not a very good comic. Zach, what mm. did you think? Um. Yeah, I. This, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a little bit better than the last few issues have been. I think. Um, I thought yeah, the probably. moment between between. Um, Diana and Kale, is that, is that her name? Veronica Kale. Yeah. 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 Felt very, um, like Superman, Lex Luthor-esque. Um. Yeah, that's actually a really nice comparison there. And, um, just kind of the way she, like, parsed out, you know, the, the meaning behind the three different villains was interesting, I guess. But then, um, you know, the issue ends with Jason in a, in a new get up, 10 out of 10. <laughs> so I had to go back and look up what happened to Jason, even though it was only two weeks ago. 
Didn't he just like go back to his home planet? I thought he died on the way there. <laughs> Me too. So he he writes this like faux suicide note, and then he is grabbed by like purple lasers and dust, and then he's gone. And I thought that meant he he got dead, but it appears maybe not. I thought it meant like oh good. Robinson's putting him back in the box, and we won't hear about him again until somebody runs out of ideas. And right. nope, the very next fucking month, we have to see him again. Not even month, my friend. Two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Steve Trevor sounds like the biggest dumbass. Okay, it's not just me. Entire- not just no. me. He sounds like a total moron. Can I read you some of this dialogue? Please do. Actually, they both sound like idiots. They both sound like like aliens who speak different languages <laughs> talking to one another, but not in the way that an Amazon... Like, these. this isn't like their first... It sounds like it's their first meeting ever. And they're, like, feeling one another out, but it's not. Okay. <laughs> I missed you, Angel. And I you, Steve. That's why I was here to meet you. Like, that's how a porno starts. You know? <laughs> and then, then he says... jamming? Then he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had to fix that a cable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, okay, that's why I was here to meet you. And greet me. I like it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who the fuck would say that? Then he, then he says, yeah, I guess it was a crazy day in the life. That, that's the one that drove me crazy. I because just, of the follow-up later. Yeah. I just wish I'd been there for some of the insanity you went through. And then Diane, Diana goes, I'd say you had enough crazy of your own. And admit it, there's Steve and Diana type stuff, and then there are missions where it's better with just me by myself. The, what? <laughs> like, who talks like this? Uh, <laughs> All right, hold on. There's some worse stuff here later. Uh, um, where oh, where is it? Are you okay, Diana? All that's gone on. We haven't had a moment to talk like this. How are you? Do you know what this is? This is like the room. You ever see the room? Of course, I've seen the room. Yes. Yeah, where where they're on the rooftop, like to- like tossing the football around. Yeah. He's like, he's something bothering you, <laughs> Mark. Is something bothering you? <laughs> Oh hi Diana. Oh hi Diana. All that's all that's gone on. We haven't had a moment to talk like this. How are you doing? You're acting like today was nothing, another day in the life, as I put it. But after everything you've been through of late, I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> like it just Okay. Oh, here. This is the worst one. All right, and then I can maybe I can maybe stop this. Grail killing the children of Zeus, so her dad. <laughs> comma, dark side, comma, could drain their energy and revert back to his real age and power. Yeah, she was just through that. <laughs> yeah, that's she what was I was ju- talking about, like recapping their <laughs> lives for no one's benefit. Yeah, and and to say, like, Grail uh, is killing the children of Zeus or her dad, uh, dark side, by the way, yeah. Diana, in case you forgot that Grail was dark side's daughter, like, the, uh, oh, man. I'm going to get an email from uh, James Robinson for talking about his dialogue again, but like, this is not, this is not how people talk. It happens, Steve. Yes. All of it. 
It, it did happen. <laughs> yeah, I was there. You know? <laughs> Can we talk about Jason's, like, new getup at the end, too? How it kind of looks like a Hawkman costume, oh. but it kind of looks like the New 52, everything because of the high collar, but it kind of looks like a Power Ranger, but it kind of looks like, uh, I don't know what. It is very Egyptian esque, yeah. um, but I, I mean, I guess you could uh, semi Greek uh, too. I don't know. You're giving up on your own premise halfway through this conversation. Yeah. Well, it's a ten out of ten, no matter what. It of looks course. great. That collar—it's maybe the best collar I've ever seen in a comic. Mwah. Your father sheds his veil, appears before you in all of his Zeusness, <laughs> fights Darkseid, and probably killed his troubles. I don't want to discuss this. <laughs> okay, <Steve>. but <laughs> the, your father sheds his veil. <laughs> fucking terrible way to say that. Are we also, sure that Robinson really wrote this? If you, if you squint really hard, or you don't even have to squint. You just back your up a little bit. The, the do you just want me to go? The question mark bleeds together. Almost looks like. Do you want me to GOP? <laughs> Is that why you're pressing me? <laughs> All right, Steve Trevor. Yeah. I don't want to discuss this, Steve. All right, then let's talk about how uh, we need to preserve our uh, <laughs> preserve our culture for. Uh... <laughs> Oh. Your day was crazy too, Steve. Yes, I went and had my gun blessed at a church. <laughs> All I know is she broke Honest Abe. Oh. Yeah. yeah, she did. First of all, <laughs> like Wonder Woman is this is this you know person who grew up in a, in a world without without access to the outside world. What, do you think she would? Do you think one of the first things she learns is presidential nicknames? <laughs> she was like, Steve, by the way, I like Ike, and they broke they broke Honest Abe. Like, what? I, I would argue that she she doesn't she probably didn't learn yeah, she probably learned the nicknames first and not the presidents. Oh maybe. Okay. Okay. So it is it is honest Abe to her. And like our current president is big piece of shit instead of his <laughs> real name. Or daughter, or yeah, and how the president that preceded the most most current one was Barf Cycle Crumbo. Vince once sent me that in a text that he saw some alt-right asshole called Barack Obama Barf Sacco Crumbo, and I thought about it every day since. <laughs> Barf Sacco Crumbo. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> Literally every day since Vince sent me that, I think of that at least once a day.
God. <laughs> oh God. I'm sweating. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> That does it for this week. <laughs> Woo. Thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> we have gone off the rails at quarter to one in the morning. Um, no, really, thanks for listening, guys. Um, oh, we didn't talk about Shade the Changing Man. Those last three issues are good. They're yeah, they're very they're, good. They're good as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, honestly, though, I, I feel like I actually just wrote about, um, Shade 1 through 3 today for my Evergreen review, because the more I thought about those first three issues, the more they kind of resonated with me, and while I've enjoyed the other ones, I feel like those first three were just such a, like a, a strong statement to start out with, and then the book just keeps getting better and better, I can't wait to, I think I actually maybe over the summer will try and read the entire run. Um, cause I believe I have the entire run of trades someplace in my house. I look for it. Um, anyway, that was a good pick, Vince. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We, we, uh, truly appreciate it. Go to multiversitycomics.com. Check out, uh, stuff from all three of us there. Zach's going to be on our Star Wars podcast, Force Ghost Coast to Coast, coming up in a couple days, talking about the Star Wars Rebels finale. He's and... better than The Last Jedi. Wow. I believe you. I don't know if I believe that. I think Alice will say that, too. I'm predicting it right now. I no, I don't know believe. about that. It's I Last Jedi's her favorite. Yeah. Um, she'll say it's better than Force Awakens. She'll say it's better than anything that's not... I'm going to say she's going to put it behind uh, Last Jedi... Empire and The Force Awakens. No, sorry, her favorite Star Wars. Fuck, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Behind behind The Force Awakens and Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What the hell? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm going to listen to... They're, they're, I love when Alice talks Star Wars. I'm going to listen. Why, why, why bet on it? Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, go to Multiversity for that. And uh, you can follow all three of us on Twitter. I am at Barf Sacco Crumbo. I'm at Eminem Obama. Zach, you're at the Obungler. <laughs> uh, He's at D-R-I-L. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Win. <Good>, yes. <laughs> Good night, folks. That's funny, I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. <laughs> <laughs>